Good morning, Portview Church. Wasn't worship great today? I just enjoy the fact that when we come together for worship together, it's an opportunity to get a focus off of ourselves a little bit, right? Uh, It's a reminder of our week when we do this together. So thank you, worship team. A lot of you don't know that uh, they spend a lot of time trying to put this stuff together, sound and uh, make sure that they get drums working and guitars. So we appreciate everybody who yesterday was here, a big chunk of the day putting things together. So thank you guys. Today I'm going to read three different passages and we're going to be using them throughout the, the message, but it's really a kickoff of a significant portion of what it means to be the church this Passion Week, starting Sunday. And this is the Sunday in which Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Festival is going on at the time, so there's an additional 150, 200,000 Jews that are going to the city as well. It's a celebration period of the Passover we see in the Old Testament. And Jesus, just before this triumphant entry into the city, he meets with his disciples, and that's where we find this first passage. They're asking him questions about what's going to be happening. And he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. You can imagine they didn't like that news. And then we find just going into that triumphant entry from Mark 11. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? Untying the colt, they answered, as Jesus has told them to. And the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the street, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! We did that already today, didn't we? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And finally, our passage from 1 John 2.6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Let's pray. Lord, as we take these moments of reflection, not only this Palm Sunday, but as we look into the week ahead, as we take our time through this week to reflect on how significant the act of coming to earth, of laying down your life and rising again, the act that has transformed our lives, Lord. May we not take it lightly. May we take the time to see the significance and how it acts out in our everyday life, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. References to pop culture is usually something you don't want to do in a sermon, but I'm going to do it today. It ages those of us who think it's pop culture and and the rest of you who don't know that it is pop culture at all. But there was a significant commercial, probably in my childhood. I'm going to try to sing it. I'm going to slaughter it. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You guys know this one? You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like like Mike. 
If I could be like Mike. Remember that song? I want to be, I want to be like Mike. No. All right. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Got one guy in the corner. Mike. (laughs) It was a reference to Michael Jordan, right? I want to be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. It's like in my brain still from my childhood, that commercial. I even watched it on YouTube this week, right? It's that draw to him, and I even said, I thought for the whole time it was Nike, it was Gatorade, right? But it was a part of my culture growing up, because everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan, right? Now, none of us are, I don't think anybody in the room was born and is 6'7 today in the room that has the leaping ability or the sheer talent and the work ethic that Michael Jordan had, but he was emulated by so many children, right? The spectacle of Michael Jordan. And and I'm reflecting upon the fact that what is a role model to us today? Who do we emulate to be like today? I think it's probably very diverse. It's interesting, probably in the last five years, there's a new term that has become prevalent in this culture around social media. It's called influencers. I mean, you've heard this term before, right? These are individuals who so many people watch on social media And society has recognized that they have the ability to influence culture because everybody wants to be like fill in the blank, right? And and as we look at scripture, we see that so many things are happening in in this Passion Week, probably the most condensed emotional week that could happen, right? We read the passage that showed Jesus knew exactly what was happening that week. He told his disciples that Saturday before the triumphant entry. He told them what's going to happen. I'm going to be flogged, crucified. It's happening. I'm going to be raised to life. Can you imagine the environment that he was in? And we have the opportunity to watch through the word of God how he reacted to those situations. I really do believe that Christ should be the one that we follow. He is the one that we should emulate. The passage we read from 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as he did. Now, the reference wasn't actually to his gate, obviously. How did Jesus really live his life? And how should I then model that? I believe we are meant to be apprentices of Jesus, to, to follow after him. And today... I'd like to look at the disposition of Jesus during those hours before and after this great triumphant entry. Circumstances that are happening around him and how he reacted to maybe give us a model in which to live. How did Jesus react to situations and therefore maybe maybe how can I? A disposition is a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. What should ours be? As we live our lives, so many things are happening. How does Jesus react? Now, some of you may think, yeah, but, but he is Jesus. He's God, so he's different than us. I get that, but he had every temptation, every struggle that we have. We see, we see in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, in situations when he was put to the test, he responded well. 
oh, that we would as well. In the 1970s, a missionary to Europe became kind of a loud voice within society because he was frustrated with Western culture. He was frustrated with the movement of the culture to individualism. His name was Francis Schaeffer. He, he wrote many books. Many believe that he is maybe the author of evangelical theology as a whole. He wrote one book, uh, very significant, that asked the question, how should we then live? And though it was a question he tried answering in the 70s, it's a question for us today. What does it look like to live like Jesus here today? Because he was counteracting the philosophy of the day that I think is still very prevalent. Voices like Ayn Rand, who wrote fiction that was still probably in most of your kids' literacy today. Your kids are probably all reading Atlas Shrugged, which she focused on the attributes of selfishness. How society is best pushed forward when individuals only think of themselves. Francis Schaeffer says, whoa! Western culture says, the dream is, it's all about me. It's about me getting what I can. But we see something totally different in the disposition of Jesus. So I want to focus on just four kind of storylines that are happening in the two or three days around the entry into Jerusalem. First, Jesus models for us how to have humility. Jesus is entering Jerusalem almost to a celebration atmosphere. He gets on that colt and he's coming down and it's called a triumphant entry. It's something that the culture would have known because it happened all the time in Roman culture. But there was a prerequisite. The individual who would be coming into Jerusalem or coming into a city had to be a general who recently killed a minimum of 5,000 people, right? So they are used to a parade of a general coming into the city who had just just won battles, had just won more. They say that in the history of Roman civilization that they had 500 of these parades. Just imagine the, the sheer body count around that Roman civilization. So they were used to a general coming into the city riding the war horse, riding with power with all of his generals around him. And here's Jesus coming in on a colt, humble, simple. No, no pre-preparation besides having the colt. There was no run sheet, right? of when Jesus comes down to the right music and to the right parade, Jesus humbly comes in, not only proclaiming kingship, not only pro- proclaiming his power, but in Zechariah 9.9, showing humility. It was, a, it was a declaration that I'm the Messiah because he was fulfilling Zechariah, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Humility. It wasn't, it wasn't about him. He, he took this lowly position and he tried to not be the one on the war horse in victory, but come in victory in lowliness and humility. 
I recently saw a military show on TV where they were going over modern camouflage. It's amazing what the military can do, not only to their planes and, and to their tanks, but what a person can wear, and you can't see them at all, right? They just they melt into the background. What humility is for us is they, it's really taking on a posture of, I don't want to, everybody to see me. I want people to see Jesus. True humility is Jesus camouflage. The goal of our lives is that when people see us, they recognize the characteristics of Jesus. Not to raise Paul up, but to pull Paul down. John the Baptist would say it very succinctly. He must increase and I must decrease. In the moment of greatest triumph, in which Jesus comes into the city, he knows what's coming on Friday. He told his disciples, he takes the position of humility. To be a follower of Jesus is a constant struggle in maintaining humility. Taking a place below Jesus and making every situation not about me. Even in conversations, how many of you have been in a conversation and you're telling a story, but the other person has to put their story above yours, right? Right? It's all about taking a passive role and making it not about us, making it lowly. We struggle. I love the fact that the worship team is up front here. I think sometimes visual inspiration is good for us, right? But did you know the early church used to put the worship team and the organ in the back? Right? Why? Because we all have a propensity of looking at somebody up here. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Right? But to take it and put it in the back so we don't even know who's singing, who's playing. Ephesians 2 2 puts it this way Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We see Jesus putting forth in these days before his crucifixion. Humility. Jesus models also a lifestyle of service. He knew what was coming, and right before everything that's coming, others sought positions of power. Even the moments before he's ready to get on the colt, people are posturing around him. His apostles are posturing around him, and they're like, so Jesus, what do you say before this all really goes on, right? How about if you let me sit next to you in your kingdom? Right? How about, how about you let me, right? And actually, you know, one of the family members brought their mom in. You know, who can say no to a mom, right? They're all positioning themselves. Okay, when Jesus takes over, when Rome gets pushed out, the kingdom of God comes in and David's throne is finally put back in place, I want to be sitting next to him. And she's like, whoa. Jesus called them together in verse... 25 of chapter 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom to many. I, I don't believe that in ministry, or for that matter, in your walk of faith, that there is any kind of ladder to climb. There's no better position, no better opportunity. God has called us to serve. There's, I find that in ministry, when we're talking about encouraging people to step into their giftings and find a place of ministry in the church, often we have to balance out two struggles. And one of the struggles is, you know what? There's really nothing in the church that you can't do with God's power. There's no position, there's no opportunity. When God empowers you, you can do anything, right? Equally so, there's nothing too low that's below you. The symbol of church leadership is the toilet brush. I'll let that sit for a second. Right? Because there's nothing that any of us can't do that's too low for us or too high for us. The role is servanthood. The role is serving other people above ourselves. I was going to bring a toilet brush in here. I thought that was a really bad idea. I've uh, done a lot of pre-marriage counseling. Uh, In our church in Ukraine, we had a very young congregation, so we just... I think I did like one or two funerals. I, I probably did 50 weddings, right? Uh, just the nature of our congregation. And I find one of the greatest struggles of young, young families is to realize the responsibility of serving each other in a marriage. The troubles usually come when one or both individuals are really looking out for their needs about the, above the other person. Things start wobbling, right? They're out of kilter, when you can serve each other just for the purpose of the needs of the others, guess what? Everybody's needs get met, right? But it's when we start thinking about ourselves and it's all about us that we really get off of kilter. Even our Sunday experience of celebration in the congregation sometimes can be about us, right? Was the worship the worship I liked? Was the length the length that I like? Right? We got a new call. Did you notice we painted? Thank you, gentlemen, for painting the wall. Some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I hate that color. Sometimes church becomes about fulfilling what I feel. I really encourage you to come on a Sunday morning and look around and say, how do I serve today? How do I serve? What a beautiful environment when we're all doing that together. So we see an environment, a situation where Jesus comes in in humility. We see where everybody's posturing for power, and he said, whoa, it's all about serving others. And then Jesus models for us that it's okay to get angry. Right after this triumphant entry, he goes in and he sees the temple. And he sees the money changers. And he gets angry. And he runs them out. And he flips over their tables once again. You guys get angry? Often we get angry over what's important to us. How many of you get angry for the wrong reason? (laughs) 
I do. Usually closely associated to a driving experience for me. <laughs> right? Have you ever found yourself just getting angry and it feels like it's no reason at all? It's probably a reason. It's probably because of a sense of unfulfilled expectations in some area of our lives. And because of that, it kind of boils in our hearts. It boils inside of us. Jesus got angry and he didn't sin. Why? Because he got angry over something that was important. They were changing money into from the currencies outside of Jerusalem into the temple currency and were making a profit off of it. They were creating a barrier between people who desired to go to God. And Jesus said, whoa, not in my house. He pushed them out. What do you get angry about? I think it's, I think it's okay to get angry with righteous anger. We had, a, we had some friends over last night, and afterwards we're sitting around and talking, and my, my daughter Emma was there, and she said, she, you know, as my kids are getting older, you're re- realizing your failures as a parent. Um, and, and she referenced to the fact that, you know, I never saw you crying growing up. I never saw you, and I said, yeah, I don't think I cried once from the age of 12 to 40. I just, I wasn't a crier. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, and emotions just weren't a part of it. And, and she said, now if I see a man cry, I cry because I don't know what to deal with it. And I said, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. But you guys have been really nice to walk with Christine and I through our journey with Ukraine. And I find myself walking around and just getting really angry. Yeah, a few swear words go off in my mind once in a while, right? I just get so angry around everything that we're losing in Ukraine and everything that's happening there. And then I'll just be walking along and I'll just start crying. But I don't, as I'm reflecting upon my own heart, I don't believe that my anger or my emotions are wrong. The question is, what do we do with it? How do we respond to that anger? Jesus had righteous anger. I'm going, to make, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about this situation. Sometimes we so insulate ourselves into our, from our emotions, right? We don't do anything. If we look around our neighborhoods, we see injustices that are happening that honestly we should get angry about. It's okay to get emotional about some things that are happening in our world, especially if that anger motivates us to do something. Right? It's important to have the contemplation. I don't have any tattoos, but I was telling somebody recently if I do, right, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to do one on contemplation and practice because, you know, you need to be really close to God, but who cares if you do nothing about it? Right? So what are you willing to get angry about? What are we willing to say, you know what? That's just wrong. And let's do something about it. So Jesus models some humility 
Jesus models servanthood. Jesus models getting angry for righteous causes. And finally, Jesus models for us a real heart of compassion. Just going down the hill from Bethphage into Jerusalem, Jesus stands atop of that hill and he looks over right before the parade and it says Jesus cried. Essentially saying, if they only knew right now what's coming, right? It's like AD 30, AD 70, there's a, there's a siege upon Jerusalem that lasts for four years and Rome wipes it out. And Jesus knows it's coming. He stands at the top of the hill and everybody down at the hill is crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, come save our country. Put the government back in place. And he says, only if you knew what's coming. It's all going to be gone. And with compassion, he cries. Just after this big procession, he gets off of that colt and he looks down and there's an individual who's blind and Jesus had says compassion on them. And he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. So just like it's important to, to get angry once in a while at the right thing, it's okay to let something touch our heart and have compassion. Right? Have compassionate situations. When we see suffering, we should not live isolated lives or insulated lives. We open our hearts up to him. What do all of these four situations really have in common? Humility, servanthood, righteous anger, compassion. What do they all have in common? He was never thinking about himself. It wasn't about him. He was always thinking about other people. Humility, servanthood, righteous anger, compassion. He was the one going to the cross, and he was not thinking about himself. I don't know about you, but I'm always thinking about me. I'm thinking about lunch right now. I'm always thinking about me. And Jesus, in the last days before his crucifixion, is still thinking about everyone else above himself. The essence, the essence of sin is selfishness that that denies God's perfect ways and plans for my life. We can, fight. we can fight around what sin is or isn't, but at foundation, it's selfishness. It's about thinking about me above other things. And in Jesus, in these last moments, is saying, whoa, it's not about me. There's so many amazing things that are happening on Sunday, beginning that Passion Week, everyone has hopes for a new government. Everybody has hopes for a new way of life, a new position of power, a new even way of prosperity. Jesus comes into Jerusalem revealing once again his primary characteristics of the kingdom of selflessness 
and they are cheering. And we sang the words, Hosanna, which translated, God save us, God save me. And all they were thinking about was, we want a new government. The people cried, Hosanna, God save me, but from what? When we sing Hosanna today, I hope you are singing it with the right mind and the right perspective. What? Because what God needs to save me from is me. I'm the problem. It's not the government. It's not somebody else. It's not the way church does things. I'm the problem. Jesus came and died on the cross because I'm the problem. Because we're the problem. So when we sing, Hosanna, God save us, we're saying, God save me. Because I'm all together without power to save myself. I need Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Today's Palm Sunday, so I want to just thank Robin for getting us some great palms today. Isn't that great? A symbol of this Palm Sunday. Thank you, Robin. And Rose Blazik today got us some pussy willows. Why is that significant? Most people just cut them down and get rid of them, right? Today, this was my choice. Because in the Slavic world, where we lived for just under 20 years, there were no palm fronds. It was cold. There was no importing them. So on Palm Sunday... Everyone goes to church with one of these in their hands. This is their palm. It's a symbol of life that's coming. The pussy willow. So we remember today not only Ukraine, but the fact that this week is about new life. This is about taking a posture of, I want to follow God. Not out of what I can gain, But I want to be like Jesus and with selfless posture. I want to follow him with everything inside of me. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing some songs together as we continue in an act of worship and chasing after God. And I'm going to give you some homework during the worship. Is everybody okay with homework? It's only going to last like five minutes. First with the homework, if, if you've been living your faith, if you've been living your marriage, if you've been living your life really all about you, I challenge you today, today is a wonderful day to make a turn. Something happens inside of us when we live a life of caring for others above ourselves. I can tell you there's more joy in that than the other way. Ayn Rand is completely wrong. And Western civilization that tries to tell us that selfishness will get you everything you want will bring you down a road of misery. But when we live selfless lives and we say to ourselves, it's not about me. And there's a, there's a simple act that happens that we can, we can posture ourselves in to model that. 
And so many churches around the world, they posture that right now as they meet together. And it is in the posture of kneeling. Kneeling before the king and say, I'm not the God here. I'm not king. It's not about me. But I take the posture of kneeling before my king. Selfless. And so if God should motivate your heart today as we, as we take a few moments of worship together, kneel. Right at your seats. Find a place of kneeling before God and take the posture of a servant. Also, I'm going to ask Pastor Mark and Suzanne to come up. Rose Blazik, this came out of her yard. If you want a remembrance of new life, if God is saying something to you today, Suzanne's going to give you a cutting. This thing's actually a weed. Stick it in the ground. It's going to grow. Well, that the church would be like that. It's very interesting. In the triumphant entry, as Jesus is coming in, that king is supposed to have killed 5,000 people. 5,000 people to have that parade. Do you know that by Acts chapter 4, verse 4, there's over 5,000 believers just days after this. 5,000 have found new life. So if you want prayer, if you want to remember today what God is saying for you, come up and pray with Pastor Mark, with Suzanne. They'll have some cuttings for you here. Suzanne, here. Let's have a few moments of worship together. Heavenly Father, we reflect in these moments that, Lord, my life isn't about me. But, Lord, how desperately we need you. Lord, when we sing Hosanna together, we're saying, Lord, save me because I need your saving from me, from my sin, from what I've done. And so, Lord God, we look to you in worship. We look to you in humility. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.